Hello, everybody. This is Paul Herman, the Prince of Motivation and the host of Zaka Presents My Journey. We're creating this vulnerable and positive platform where you get inspired and motivated from different leaders from our community. Today, our guest is Aisha Loesch, who is a Senior Vice President, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at Hill Holiday. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you on the show. I mean, I, I definitely want to know a little bit about this title that you got going on, because there's a lot of words right there. I know that's uh, came with a, a long line of work. and uh, But before we actually get into that, could you just let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself and where you're from growing up? Absolutely. As Paul mentioned, I'm Aisha Loesch. I grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts. Um, I'll be very specific because I'm not from Boston, and Brockton and Boston are very different. Um, I went to uh, Sacred Heart University for my undergrad, Curry for my MBA, and I also have um, certifications in diversity and inclusion, mental health, first aid, executive coaching and leadership, um, and a couple of the things I got going on. But yes, so that's Mm. a little bit about me. I'm a mom of three and a wife to one. Okay. Okay. And I like that. I like, hey. Look, and when it comes down to when you, you said Massachusetts, I know you had a clear separation of Boston and where you're actually from. Yeah. Uh, how was the culture in Mass growing up? What was that like for you? See, growing up in Brockton and a Haitian household, um, there's the three L's in Creole, which I'm not going to try to say because I'll probably say them wrong, but it means school, church. <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh, what's the third one? Is it work? Oh, oh, I'm going to remember it, but it's about church, being at school and being at home. And so I um, spent time in a predominantly Catholic education. So my experiences is not one of a, um, what folks think of in Brockton. You know, I went to church, I went to my school, I came home, I was in Girl Scouts, played a lot of sports, um, was singing in my church choirs. And so growing up was a very kind of humdrum life, if you will. Um, but it was really exciting because of just the city that I was in, there was a lot of diversity. Um, and then just growing up with my, um, West Indian roots always had a little something happening on the weekends at my house. If we weren't having family here, we were driving to Long Island to see my family there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're saying that the area you grew up in was very diverse. So you were at yes. a young age, you, you kind of started to fall in love or see, be around that diversity. You know what it was? It was the lack of diversity, quite frankly, that made me want to do more of the work um, Mm -hmm. because I was the one and only up until maybe third grade. I was the only black child in my classroom. And so I needed to understand why that was. Right. Where was the diversity? Where was the inclusion? Where was the level of belonging? Right. And it comes down to the equitable practices where my parents worked, you know, the unbeknownst to me, two to three, four jobs to send me to these schools. Right. And so um, after being in these spaces, I kind of took my business degree from Sacred Heart, applied it to human resources, but then kind of evolved into this diversity space to kind of help an overall corporate environment, but hopefully overall society, right? When I think about larger um, impact and why I do this work is to have people really um, feel included uh, Mm -hmm. wherever they are. Now, I couldn't help... But listen, when you said the Haitian culture, so being Haitian, could you talk to us a little bit about like that Haitian culture growing up? Like, how has it uh, influenced you in your career? Yes. And so 
I'm very um, mindful that my Haitian experience is different than anyone else's. I'll talk about my Haitian experience with two parents that immigrated from Haiti to Canada, Mexico, and then ended up in Brockton, Massachusetts. Um, you know, my family was religious, but they were strict. They really wanted us to go to school. Education was something that was extremely important to my family. And so I wanted to, you know, do what children do is make their parents proud. And so I went to school, got good grades, got involved in a lot of things. But the Haitian culture, you know, my grandmother and my aunt lived around the corner so I could walk to their houses, having family, um, lots of food, having rice for dinner most nights. Um, you know, it was just, it was something that gave me the sense of vibrancy, I guess, you know, being in other spaces, I got to see my family and the dancing and the music and the fun and having that made me kind of feel the whole, um, you know, the whole love of my family and the culture. That was how it was shared with me through family moments and mm -hmm. a lot of food. Oh, hey, look, I know the Haitian culture is very big on music and food. So mm -hmm. shout out to that. I know in the, um, earlier you said something about like it was a lack of diversity. Um, you were like the only uh, African-American. And so like the you said third grade or. Mm -hmm. OK, now what was could you express us like some of the challenges you faced like growing up uh, that kind of inspired you to kind of move into your career? Yeah. So the challenges and, you know, assimilation is something that I, again, learned doing this work was something that I could do well. Right. And so I felt othered only a very few times because, you know, I was, we were in a church community as well. So that made kind of the inclusion a little bit easier. Um, but it was really around when other students of color came in, uh, the not the white students in the class thought there'd be an automatic kinship, right? Like, oh, Aisha, there's another black student in the class. Like, obviously, you know, this person's going to be your boyfriend. And I'm like, I, I don't know that man. I'm sorry to that man. I don't know him. And so it was really an opportunity for me to explain that, you know, or not even explain because I was too young, but for me to be like, no, you know, it's not that simple. Like I can get to know him just as long as I've got to know all of you. Like he could be my friend. Um, it was really having people understand that like my lived experience wouldn't be the same as his. And then as I got into um, high school, I started to see more of that there's actually a book written by um, Dr. Beverly Tate called Why Are All the Black uh, Students Sitting in the Together in the Cafeteria, I believe. And there's books around kind of how, you know, folks from marginalized backgrounds kind of come together in these predominantly white spaces. And I noticed that um, in high school and then moving into Sacred Heart, where I was fortunate enough to be part of a multicultural diversity um, sorority, I was able to fully see the lens of inclusion and see that there's so much more than what I've seen in my high school and earlier learning. And so from there, working in HR, I thought that that would be the best caveat to start to teach folks just more around inclusion and just being better people. Um, and I feel like after college or whatever you're, wherever you stop learning, the workplace is the next place you're going to learn for the longest periods of your lifetime. And so I wanted to be part of that learning culture for many folks going forward. Mm, okay, I see. Now, when you talk about your parents being of the Haitian culture, what were some of like the qualities or the, uh, the, the traits that they were able to pass down to you uh, that kind of helped inspire you or kind of like navigate you in an earlier career? Yeah. Well, you know, the traits that my parents um, showed me were, they were very generous. They were caring. 
They were hardworking. As I mentioned, they were working lots of jobs to make sure that we all had what we had. Um, and so that was skills and things that I took with me as I went into school, when I went into college, when I went into the workplace, right? Just put your head down and get your work done. Um, but again, learning those things um, and being in a, in a corporate America, I learned that that's not all you need to progress in your career. You need to have relationships. You need to understand the kind of the politics of your um, of your organizations. And my parents were, my mom was a nurse and my dad was an engineer. They may not have had to play those games in kind of their crafts, right, in their disciplines. But when you're in these spaces, you needed to kind of understand how to do that. And so that took me a little bit longer. Um, but now I understand that there's so much more to than just being a good worker or a good student. There's other pieces that kind of help propel people forward um, in careers. Now, you mentioned Sacred Heart University. You said something uh, along the lines of a sorority, a diverse uh, multicultural sorority. That, uh, that experience, how was that for you? It was wonderful. It was one of my favorite um, parts of going to Sacred Heart University because I was able to just learn and be um, brothers to some very distinguished gentlemen. And so it was an opportunity for us to come together to help the city of Bridgeport, um, to have people from all walks of life that I didn't have exposure to, right, being in predominantly white schooling institutions. So it was really an amazing opportunity to make new sisters and to um, do some philanthropy, which again, I did um, before, you know, in other spaces of food drive, but really what we did within these organizations was so much more than that. And that was um, really impactful. Mm. Now I know 20 to 30 years ago, like, uh, you know, diversity, inclusion and belonging wasn't as like looked at on, on a higher scale. I know that things are starting to it's going to be a little, there's like a little shift right now. What, how do you feel about that? I welcome the shift, right? When you talk about where it was 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, it was about gender parity. That's what folks felt safe and comfortable talking about was let's get women in leadership. And that's what happened. And, you know, there's studies and things that I don't have on hand, but can send to you that we can say that affirmative action helped white women more than any other marginalized group. And so um, it was extremely important um, for the evolution of where we are now. And after the killing of George Floyd a year ago um, this week, right, it was um, two years ago, excuse me, um, it was a needed pivotal change. Um, for what this work really means, for us to dig deep, to talk about race, to talk about the barriers and the um, roadblocks that have put up for people from marginalized and historically excluded groups to be able to succeed in, and I'm talking about corporate spaces, but I'm sure in other spaces as well. You think about academia, you think about the trades, you think about how businesses get funded, right? Financial reasons. There are so many things that um, folks just thought there were this barriers, invisible barriers, but we knew them to be very real. And so the evolution of this work, and that's why my title is so long, which is a great segue, it started with diversity and inclusion, but we knew that equity was an extremely important part of that equation because not everyone needs the same things. And so you have to make sure that what you're giving your talent is equitable. And then the sense of belonging is really around, okay, you have diversity, you have inclusion, but do I belong here? Do you value my work? Do you see me? And so that's how, you know, the evolution of the title and even this work has continued to grow to ensure that people are coming in holistically as themselves to do their best work without having to assimilate to anyone's ideas what professionalism is or what corporatism, you know, being corporate is. 
True. Now, in, in corporate America, like I know that, uh, like you said, this, and we were talking about the shift is there. Like, what do you think is like the biggest roadblock to kind of like stopping that from being like across, like a across the world kind of thing, where everyone is looking at it as like something as a priority? Like, what's the biggest roadblock you think it is? You know, if people acknowledging that it's real, um, that's something that we talk about a lot at work is racism is real and it affects all of us. Um, There's a great book um, by Heather McGee called The Sum of Us, and she gives a story around um, pools, right? Community pools that were all in different towns and cities in the 50s and 60s. And I'm sure you've seen movies from that time. Everyone goes to the community pools. And we think about where do they all go, right? And what happened to a lot of those pools was that when they had to integrate, towns decided rather than have little brown and black children swim in those pools, they'll just fill them with cement and close them down, right? Now, while that affects brown children and black children, that also affects little white children that are able no longer to swim. And so it's really around folks acknowledging and seeing and understanding our history um, for all of it to move forward, not just here in the U.S., but globally. Mm -hmm. That's that's a... The, the fact that you were able to break that down, I mean, I know I've heard stories of that, but uh, it's when you when you when you talk about it, it kind of brings me back to like when I was in those history classes and hearing about these things. I mean, like this can't be true. Why would people even go to that extent? But like you said, racism is is real and it still exists. And, you know, it's very hard to kind of like, you know, trying to change people's mindsets. But I, I feel like as a community, like how you're doing it right now is just having strong leaders to kind of like navigate that and bridge the gap because it's all about just people just having knowledge, you know, because, you know, that unity, unity and diversity always leads to knowledge, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, I know you, um, you received your MBA. How was that experience for you? It was great. I, I, for someone who didn't think they liked school, I guess I do like school because I continuously go back. Um, mm-hmm. My MBA was a good program. I went to Curry College where they had a part-time MBA, so I was able to continue to work and uh, get my program part-time. So I went, um, you know, did some things asynchronously on uh, Blackboard, I think the platform was, and then we would have a four-hour class once a week. Um, And it was really eye opening to be able to see and understand more about like the financials of companies working in the department I am human resources. As you get closer to leadership, you get more access to that. But in the beginnings, you don't really talk about balance sheets and P&Ls or marketing campaigns or uh, analysis or all the other courses that I took within my MBA program. So that just gave me the exposure to it. Um, And that was also 10 years ago that I got my MBA. Now Mm -hmm. there's so many opportunities for free learning online. Um, If you have LinkedIn learning, there's opportunities to learn different things. So um, it was a great experience, but there's always now, I think, even more robust ways of getting more learning and hands-on experience. And then, you know, things that I weren't doing 10 years ago because of, you know, being kind of taught you speak when you're spoken to, things like that. Um, I wasn't asking for different opportunities. So my MBA helped me kind of raise my hand a little bit more, feeling a little bit more confident with that degree to say, hey, I've I've seen this and I want to now apply my learning in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And then you, I, I see that you also went on to Cornell. Is that correct? Yes. And that's where I got my diversity and inclusion certification back in 2018. How long did it take to get that certification? Uh, that program is weeks long. So I want to say it was 10 weeks long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it was also, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, how was that experience? You know, 
it, it was foundational for me. I knew I wanted to get into this work, but again, I wanted to make sure I had the education to 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 facilitate it. And so Cornell is all online. It was a great opportunity again because by 2018 I had two kids. One was two and one was five. Um, and so it was an opportunity for me to continue my learning. But that um, organized that program was able to give me kind of foundational um, diversity and inclusion metrics and have the right language to kind of do this work more professionally as opposed to, you know, as participating in employee resource groups. I was, you know, helping look at policy and doing things kind of in an ad hoc way, but getting that certification kind of helped me wrap my whole um, experiences up in a nice box and then give me additional resources and skills to be able to do the work holistically and at a wider scale. Mm-hmm. Now, after graduating from Cornell, uh, getting a certificate from Cornell, getting your MBA, you start to move into corporate, the corporate environment. You know, could you express us some of like the obstacles you kind of face and some of them, uh, how do you overcome them? Yeah, you know, working for as long as I have, and I've been working since I was 16. So started off working at Oscar Drug and Dunkin' Donuts. And before that, babysitting, because um, I was always about, you know, having some coins to go to do what I had to do. But working in corporate America, it's been a really um, interesting ride. And I think I have grown throughout it just because I've seen the vast diversity of just leadership and how people run um, different organizations. And then really finding my allies and finding folks that would sponsor me or mentor me, um, that has been huge just because, uh, again, growing up, you were spo- I was I felt like I had to just kind of play small, but seeing how people were moving and shaking within corporate America and having those sponsors and leaders, they were able to kind of coach me on how to um, make my impact known and my presence known in different ways. And that um, led me to many different opportunities within um, Sapient when I was there, and then now at Hill Holiday as well. And when you were in this environment, corporate environment, did you feel like the work that you were doing was not being seen? Potentially, in some cases, absolutely. You know, being an individual contributor or, you know, just kind of doing my work and not letting folks know that, like, I I closed that really important role that we needed to fill for whatever client it was, right? People, that's the thing about um, advocating for yourself is that while you think your manager's paying attention, they really have other things that they're focused on. Like, they worry about you, but they're not worrying about all the wins you have. Um, So one of the things that I started to do and got coached on was kind of keeping a, a wins list, right? So you open a PowerPoint, you make 12 slides. This is what I've accomplished in January. This is what I've accomplished in February. And you kind of make sure that people know that you're doing these things. And then you also want to let them know the aspirations you have to do other things. And so being in these environments, it was helpful to get coached that way because I felt myself kind of being stagnated. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. How can I let folks know that I have other um, skills and talents? And it really was from there opening my um opening my aspirations and letting people know that, saying it out loud, that's when I start to see uh, more opportunities opened for me. Now, obviously you you have a very big title um, and a big role, you know, in a sense, like I know that going to work every single day and knowing that you have a a mission, you know, something you have to kind of deliver. How do you feel about that pressure being on you, you know, to deliver that being a minority woman? You know, it's it's heavy at times, especially this week when I put my kids back on the bus or, you know, thinking about last week and not wanting to go to the grocery store. Um, it's it's a heavy burden, especially that 
my lived experience doesn't, it's hard to separate, right? I'm not doing another craft. I'm not doing accounting. So it's not that I can, you know, have something coming in and then go look at some spreadsheets or look at money or do something different. I'm coming into work trying to be strong for others while sometimes I'm not feeling strong myself. But I do know that this work will improve um, the livelihoods and close the wealth income gap. McKinsey has done a fantastic job um, doing uh, analysis around the black um, wealth gap and how we can close it. And so being part of the change and being part of um, breaking some systemic things, even though it might be within one company, sharing it more broadly, ensuring that folks know um, that it can be changed, like that, that's what keeps <clears throat> me going. And for for individuals that are in corporate America, what do you feel is the biggest tool right now or resource people could do or to do to kind of uh, create more diversity and inclusion? Well, listen to your people of color that are in your organizations. Um, they know what they're talking about. Um, utilizing employer business resource groups to create um, communities of belonging, um, put people of color in the roles that they deserve, right? When you look at leadership, if you're trying to talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. So when we're looking at your board of directors and we're looking at your senior leadership teams, are they reflective of the United States, right? We all know the different census numbers. And so that's what folks can do. And then others, if you don't feel like you're in those positions, hold your leaders accountable, ask, you know, inquisitive questions, um, but really just doing what they're supposed to be doing. We're out here, we're making things happen and just hiring the right talent, I think is paramount, but also making the um, the environment that they're coming into inclusive and welcoming um, so they can thrive. Mm-hmm. Now, through your experience of corporate America, like what was like a big breakthrough in your career that helped you see corporate America differently? You know, my last role um, at Publicis Group, where I was doing very similar work um, in the summer of 2020, um, I was working alongside a phenomenal woman named Ronnie um, Dickerson Stewart. And we had a moment um, to bring everyone together across the U.S., to talk about what was happening, to make programming, to have people feel seen, to give learning, to give leaderships the right tool. And in putting together that day of of reflection and information, it changed my trajectory of how I view this work, quite frankly, and knowing that, you know, we don't have to come at it in any type of soft way, like the facts are the facts. And it helped um, it helped kind of open everyone's eyes to what really needed to be changed and therefore made it a little bit easier to then have those conversations about making change because we could see what we were doing wrong for tens, tens uh, of years, decades of years um, um, in corporate America. So that was that was really a, a, an inflection point for me. Now, with you mentioned publicist group, I know you were the VP of talent engagement over there. You know, could you tell us about like maybe two things that yeah, that you accomplished that made you proud while you were at the company? Yes, absolutely. It was around, you know, I was I was tasked with organizing and facilitating and managing all of our business resource groups. So at the time, um, there was 12 and before I left, there was 14. So we started global initiatives around sustainability and green. Um, we had a great presence around LGBTQIA um, talent. We had a group that was started in um, one of our other agencies that we were able to scale nationally for um, our more seasoned talent, right? So when you think about business resource groups, sometimes you only think about certain affinities, but folks who have been in the industry for 
20, 30 years, they also have needs. They also want to come together as communities, right? As some, you know, parents groups are talking about sending kids to daycare. There's a whole other spectrum of parenting on the other side as well. And that group was also able to evolve while I was there. So that was really exciting um, to be a partner to all of our business research group at Publicis Group. And then really our learning and our learning partners, working with great companies like Corn Ferry and Cook Ross, um, Bold Culture, they were able to bring really dynamic and innovative learning to our talent. Um, so I was extremely proud to be able to be part of that network. And then lastly, um, at Publicis Group, they have a great tool internally for communication. And we were able to kind of build out what that looked like from a diversity and inclusion perspective to ensure that not only from the U.S., from a global perspective, we were able to share and have connection with talent. Mm. And from there, you, you're now at Hill Holiday. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and how, how is that experience? I mean, I'm assuming that you've, you've taken all the experiences and all your certifications and degrees over to Hill Holiday. Absolutely, and gotten more. So it's been it's been a really interesting opportunity to be part of a senior leadership more closely, um, working alongside the CEO, the CFO on a daily, right? So I'm not working um, with just my peers or other people on my team, I'm really managing up. And so that has been a really great experience to have the purview and the insights of those leaders. Um, and But we were able to kind of build new things, um, you know, found a mentorship program, again, continuously building business resource groups. We have a new one that started last month, our Hill Holiday Agency. And so it's really like the work that I do is really around just growth and belonging. And, um, you know, we're starting to evolve our hiring practices and ensuring that we're removing bias. And so we have a lot of great projects going on to ensure that Hill Holiday has already made a, a big uh, commitment to this work before I joined. And so I'm happy to continue, um, you know, moving that forward uh, alongside our leadership to ensure that it happens. Now, if, wow. And where, where is Hill Holiday located? We are in Boston, Massachusetts, in the Seaport okay. area. We also have a New York office right by Bryant Park. Um, we have a sister agency in Greenville. Um, South Carolina. And then we have folks remote across the U.S. because as we learned through COVID, um, we can Zoom is a very good um, work office. And so we have great talent all across the U.S. Uh, do you work from home now? I do. I do go in the office about once every other week just to check in and say, see folks and maybe have a team meeting or two. But I work from home most days. Mm. Now, that is a I'm thinking about it now like that you are you are right when um this pandemic uh, hit us all like a lot of people were like oh wait zoom exists you know they it was always there but uh <laughs> it's like everyone has started to run to it even more that's when I, that's when i knew i should have purchased stocks in zoom <laughs> i i messed up i messed up i was like ah oh, my business degree i should have applied it at that time <clears throat> i hear you same with bitcoin i i missed that i missed that Yes, I, you, you, you're you're impacting the world a different way, which is uh, with the individuals themselves. You know, making people feel like they belong in, and you know, all those other stuff. It's it's important, you know, because that brings the culture of a company together. You know, people talk about like how do how do companies become successful? You know, they got to start with the people first. You know, yes, you obviously have to have an, a really good leader, right? But the leader needs to know that the team is just as valuable as themselves. Absolutely. So having a diverse team, having people of all different walks of life will help provide, you know, a different mindset or different ideas at that point in time. And, you know, 
you know, people can't be afraid of that, you know, because you got people have to know that, especially in corporate America, because, you know, sometimes it's very strict. It's like, this is what we do. And that's it. You know, people are not open to change. And that kind of scares people sometimes. But as you can see, you know, we went from a pandemic to Zoom, working from home. There's a change. You know, people's got to be able to pivot. But uh, it's it's to each his own. But I'm glad that there's individuals like yourself that are in this position that really, truly believe in it. You know, I want to kind of ask you this question now, because I I know that from just talking to you, like I could I could hear it in your voice. And obviously from your bio and all the stuff that you've done, you know, there's people out there that, you know, pretend to be in your shoes and say that they could do this and they're doing that. But they're really not, you know, bringing people together. They're not about the inclusion and definitely not about the diversity. They're like um, they just want to say it in order to kind of create that buzz at their corporate environment. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, your talent will see right through it. And, you know, McKinsey has been saying this for years that, you know, companies with good diversity make more money. So if you're just talking the talk but not walking the walk, you're not going to you're not going to get the benefits of having the folks in the room and making um, great work for whatever you're making widgets, insurance, advertising, whatever you have. Like, it's just not going to be better. So talent, as we talked about, Zoom is an office now. Talent has an opportunity to walk away. We have seen in the great um, resignation or the great reimagination, folks are really going to where they feel valued. And so if you find a company is not doing what they said they were going to do, there are so many opportunities out there um, for folks to go and be where they're valued. And so I encourage folks to ask the questions, be inquisitive, hold people accountable. But if it's not changing, then you have to do what's best for you. I've been saying this to a lot of different folks is put your mask on first. If you know when you're on a plane and the air comes down, you have to take care of yourself. Um, And so that is what folks should do if they feel like um, the work isn't being done. And in corporate America, like what what is um, ways that like, you know, corporations can implement or things they could do to implement to kind of like retain minority employees? Yeah, I mean, pay them, pay them what they're worth, give them the money, all the coins. Uh, that's extremely important. <laughs> we better uh, collect. We better collect. Mario Luigi. Hi. It's um the the pay gaps are there and they're real. And um, so you want to make sure you're paying people equitably and you're um, giving folks opportunity for promotion equitably. Um, giving people sponsorship opportunities to be in different spaces, not keeping people in box or swim lanes of you know, oh, you can only be. X, you can't ever explore Y, like giving people opportunity to um, have other chances to see different types of work and then just give them the chance to lead without imposing um, anyone else's bias or how they feel like it should be done. Like it will get done if you let people do it the way that they need to. And so um, making sure that folks have autonomy to grow and make mistakes and fail fast and often, but every time you fail, you're closer to a win. So that's really how it should be. It's and I know that uh that's uh that comes down to leaders, right? What do you feel like a leader in 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 corporate America and, and let's focus on that area? Like, uh, what should a leader do at this point in time to kind of improve in their own self growth in order to kind of help make sure that the diversity and inclusion is more of a priority at their company? Yeah, they need to understand it. 
um, they really need to fully grasp what this work is. It's not a check in the box. It's not putting a person of color with a long title in a space and think that you're done. In this work, it really requires accountability. It really requires for folks to have checks and balances and ensure that they are doing what they said they're going to do. Um, it's really about hiring and retaining um, great talent. You know, it's really, there's a lot of different things they could be doing, but the focus needs to be on ensuring that their leadership teams look like the people they're trying to attract and then that they have opportunities for growth and that they're building out different things. And it's not just about mentorship programs or things of that nature. It's really around giving people P&L responsibilities, giving them opportunities to see it and be it within a corporate space. So leaders really need to be sponsoring talent for new opportunities to grow. Now, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about, you know, this uh, a lot of immigrant employees might have the concern of like speaking up and advocating for themselves. You know, they, the worries come up and they start to question. And before you know it, they don't really advocate for themselves. So like, how do you navigate through something like that? Absolutely. So I'm a facilitator of a program that Google has founded called the hashtag I am remarkable. And in that workshop, you talk about it's for women in underrepresented groups to work on self-promotion. And so if you are nervous or it's not something that is innate to you, right, it's not it's un, it's outside of your culture to want to talk about yourself Practice in small ways. Start with your one-on-one -on -one meetings with your manager on one win in one month, right? And then next time is an opportunity for folks to introduce yourself or if you're doing some work, like, yes, you know, last month we had this win and I, in this month I'm going to be working on this. Just really flexing that muscle because it only gets easier with practice, right? So same as being at the free throw line and trying to sink that shot. Um, you have to practice, you know, promoting yourself in different spaces. And so, if you can, and you can even do it with your friend group. I know we all have group chats. So if you have a good day at work, go to your group chat and be like, listen, I had a presentation today and I did amazing. And let your circle clap for you and cheer for you. And you can practice in many different spaces that will become more natural for you to do it in spaces where you might feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But comfort, discomfort creates growth. That is true. That is true. Some people run away from that. Uh, that is comfort, but you, you are right in, in struggle, you know, does, it does come growth. We just have to, to, to go through it, you know, at the end of the day to kind of see it, but you are right about the whole thing about leaders need to acknowledge and, you know, and about, you know, minorities in a sense do need to work on, you know, speaking up when they feel like they know what they deserve. And that's a very hard thing. You know, people could say, well, you know, that's why people undercut themselves. And, then you know, those issues come up where they, they might not feel uh, appreciated at their company. But then it's like, did you speak up when you had the chance? Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's twofold. It's having the opportunity to, you know, give yourself and self-advocate. But I'm very much aware that we have a very I call it the messy middle of managers who may not listen, who have bias, who are who have benefited from the systemic racism that has been in corporate America. And so as much as one might be able to self-advocate, we have to acknowledge kind of the larger ecosystem that we're trying to dismantle. And so um, we want to make sure that if you don't find, you know, an advocate or a mentor in the space that you're in, kind of going around them and finding other ways to to be on teams where people will value you and see the value that you bring. And again, it could be at the same company, it could be somewhere else, but there is a lot of 
um, there's still a lot of roadblocks and bias within corporate that we're working mm. on fixing, but it still comes up unconsciously or implicitly. Um, and especially in the Zoom world, there's proximity bias. And so while I might be doing the best work here at home and my boss is in the office and sees someone across the hall, they might be you know, favoring this person. So it's, you have to stay on top of so many different things. There's so many balls to juggle um, in this corporate landscape. And that's the other piece that I was talking about, that kind of political relational pieces of being um, in this space. It's not just about doing your work. It's kind of managing all of it. Mm. It, is, it is a lot to manage. It definitely is. And so someone like yourself, like who do you, who do you look to as like a mentor, as a coach to kind of get you going and inspiring you? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, I've named one. Ronnie Dickerson Stewart is an idol, an amazing woman. I have another mentor, Sandra Sims Williams, who is now the Chief Diversity Officer of Nielsen, um, who's been just a lifeline. I have a number of um, peer mentors within my sister circle that I reached out to, my cousins. Um, there are a lot of folks that I have kind of within my ecosystem that help me, that I can bounce ideas off of, let them know when I failed, get feedback on what I could do differently. Um, and so it's been, um, even I have a group in my group chat called the Preschool Moms where all of our sons went to preschool together and then we come back together and, and connect about different things about parenting. So you kind of have to have a lot of different board of directors for different things in your life and having them as a resource, staying engaged, supporting them as they support you, um, you can find the right help throughout your career. I also seen it in a bio, uh, you, you're also a certified executive and leadership coach and a qualified administration for like intercultural development index. Mm -hmm. Could you just tell the listeners, what does that mean? Sure. So the coaching is, you know, pretty straightforward. I have been certified on kind of doing executive and leadership coaching, helping people uh, assess themselves and find uh, growth in what they're trying to do. In regards to the IDI, the intercultural um, inventory, I'm a qualified administrator. And what that is, is an assessment where folks are um, taken, they're um, graded on a continuum from uh, denial to adaptation. And why I use that tool is to kind of help people see themselves in this world and how they're included in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and where they are on the continuum. And it comes with a plan. And then I coach them through that plan so they can see how their upbringing has formulated what they think today, how their communities formulate how they think today. You know, I mentioned I grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts. And there's kind of when you're leaving Boston, you get two highways, you get Route 3, and you get Route 24. And Route 3 is very homogenous. And Route 24 is a lot of diversity, and that's not by mistake, right? That is by design. That is by redlining. That's by bad policy. And so having these different certifications, I'm able to um, coach people through their journeys, but then give them an objective tool like the IDI to see themselves and then have them grow um, in this work because it's a journey. And everything else is a journey, especially when, you know, we're talking about diversity and inclusion. This is going to be a long process that's going to take years for it to be on the platform where it needs to be, you know, and individuals like yourself are constantly pushing it and um, trying to evolve it. So there has to be some moment in your career where it's like your proudest achievement. Could you speak about that? Sure. It was definitely that day that I mentioned earlier, bringing together 18,000 people for a moment to discuss what was happening in the US, but to have an opportunity for learning, I really felt 
um, passionate and and proud of what we were able to accomplish as a team. Um, and you know, the other piece too, um, just being able to survive as myself has been a proud moment. Um, being in the spaces, um, still being you know one of few in predominantly white spaces, but being my authentic self, right? Like so, ten years ago, relaxed hair, navy suit, you know all the things, you know, pink nails, whatever I had to do to kind of assimilate. Now it surrounds, you know, my curls, I wear a head wrap, my bold lip. Like I have grown into who I truly am. And that has been uh, a very proud moment for me in corporate America, for me to be fully me and not have to try to be anything else. And if you had to, I would say, give it some type of advice to a young immigrant child, moving into us hearing this interview and all the beautiful things and all the, the, the information that you've given, like, what would you, what would you give to that individual as some sort of piece of advice? Still listen to your parents, <laughs> but explore, um, absolutely ask questions, network, right. Um, meet new people, join different organizations. Um, I'm part of a great group called Boston Mall Black. Um, And it's just a great opportunity to network and and have great programming and learning and just meeting different people from different cultures. Um, And so it's really around growing your network, learning um, from different people and their experiences and finding ways to win in different ways that may not be what your parents have thought for you. Um, But you can you can grow your way. Mm. That's that is um, I like the fact that you said you got to get involved. Yes. You got to get involved. It's, that's probably one of the best ways to kind of advance as someone, in, whether in corporate America or any type of job or even on a team, you got to get involved. You know, just being a player on the bench is not enough. You know, just being a, a staff member who just comes to work is not enough. But once you get involved, it kind of shows your um, a sense of belonging, you know, and that's how, you know, work ethic starts to speak for itself. And then before you know it, it leads to so many other things. Um, I, now, my last thing to you, I know you do a lot of mentorship towards younger individuals and stuff like that. I know that the Zaka platform, that's something that we're we're looking to uh, evolve in the many more months to come. So we would love for you to, you know, be involved in that and giving, you know, these types of workshops to these individuals and kind of speaking a little bit more about your journey. So I would uh, welcome that. But I thank you so much for being a part of uh, today's show and expressing everything that goes on in your career. And congratulations on being a mom of three and and still being able to produce heavily like this at work and still make an influence, not just on your family, but also on your community. I know your, your husband's very proud of you and I know your kids, and they might not understand right now what mom really does, but you know there'll be a point in time where they're going to look back and say, that's my mom. She did that. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I look forward to coming back and being part of the mentorship pieces of it. Um, And I wish you all the best. This is going to be an amazing opportunity for folks. And I look forward to being um, a partner. Okay. And to the listeners, if you want to hear more stories like Aisha, check us out on ZakaConnect.com or follow our feed Zaka, wherever you listen to your podcast. And Aisha, thank you so much for being a part of the show today.